think we should be live now. Uh, Meeting is now streaming live on Facebook. So why don't, right. why don't you guys grab that uh, link off of DKP and put it on DKC and our personal pages. Welcome, everybody. Has it been a long time since we've been here or what? Really? Yes. Well, we're glad to be back. This is our vaccine Christmas special. <laughs> How about that for a title, huh? Yeah. What? Someone's uh packed in. Do we want to do any quick updates? What's been going on with everybody? I got a new baby. She's super rad. She's about. A, she's uh, probably. We've done a DK since the we had the baby though. Yeah, we've we've definitely done that. But hey, Unless that's that's done. worth that's worth two updates. It yeah. really is. But congrats, still. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Really is. Love having a little baby girl in the house again. She's my little bald monkey. What's up with you, Titus? <laughs> what have you been doing? Um, well, I kind of stopped working because the grass stops growing um, in the winter. So kind of sit Are you headed and... to India to show me up or are you going <laughs> to? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, India is not open. So I have nothing to do all winter except read books. And um, yeah, that's about it. What's the best book you've read in the last month? Um, I really like James Cone's uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Have you ever read that? No, I mean, I've seen the title, but I haven't read it. Yeah, it was really good. So I read um, Francis Schaeffer's uh, How Should We Then Live? And then I read James Cone right after him. I don't know if you've read Schaeffer, but his, his book was kind of a, a glowing commentary on Protestant Western civilization. And it was, it was a really fascinating book. But then James Cone comes along and just pokes a hole in that whole idea with um, the you know, exposing how the Western church has lynched black people, you know, and, and, and Schaefer did mention that the two sins of the Western church were racism and, and uncompassionate use of wealth. So he kind of mentioned that in passing, but then he kind of got back to his whole project of an apologetic for, you know, Western Protestants, Christendom. Um, so it was fascinating to read those back to back. Have you ever read Schaefer? I haven't. No, I mean, just an excerpt. Yeah. It's pretty good. What have you been up to, Anthony? Uh, nothing much new. Um, spending a lot of time out in the open air. And uh, no new babies. Um, can't think of any big news in the last three weeks. All right, do you that. slow down for the winter or you keep working right on through? You're far enough south. You probably work all the way yeah. through. Yeah. Hey, winters are beautiful down here. You know, we That's get some the only time I'd want to be there. Some cool, some cool rainy weather. Um, and today we had like five in or yesterday we had like five inches of snow, something like that, four or five inches, which is a big snow for us. The children have been sledding all day. So that's probably nice. the news. Um, but but other than that. Yeah, we, we usually can work right through the winter without weather interfering much. We're supposed to get slammed on Wednesday or Thursday. This is what we got yeah. we come to talking about the weather. <laughs> we did. We're updating. We're being personable. All right. Yes. What about you, Dave? I'm basically being anti-Milioni. I'm teaching, still teaching at school and getting ready for Christmas program. So that's about as anti-Milioni as you can get. <laughs> if you just get a good shave on that face, you'd be like, yeah, exactly. my be antithesis. Like... <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Or get a white beard and a red hat and all that. <laughs> I would do it too. Ho, ho, ho. Well, did you guys see Christopher Whitmer and I did Third Way and he had a Santa hat on the whole time? Good <laughs> move. And Titus I has his pagan relic full, fully in view. I have, yeah, I have the bailbird <clears throat> in the background and then I've got my Merry Christmas sign. And then I have a pagan philosopher, Plato, the Republic, um, propped up there too, who I just started reading. He's a, he's a funny well, I guess it's technically Socrates, but that's a kind of an amusing uh -huh. feed. Well, do we want to kick off there since since Titus is bragging on his paganism? <laughs> sure, unless we want to do well, that. We're gonna, first. we're gonna have to face it at some point. We we talked about what to talk about tonight and and we settled on on the crowd pleaser. People like when we disagree more than when we agree, I think. So we thought we'd go so after the bale bushes. At least I would. But I think we should. I think we probably should actually start with the vaccines because, like, all Christian people agree on that. And, uh, <laughs> and then good. we can move into the. Bless God for that, then. I'd be praised. We, we can move into the uh, into the controversial subject afterward. Well, let's do that. What, let's start off. So there's a vaccine. I think a, 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 a nurse in New York was one of the first in America to get it that wasn't in a trial. Mm -hmm. And it's being shipped out minus 70 all over America. And it's, it's, it's going in arms probably as we speak somewhere. Uh, who's, who's signing up to get it as soon as they can? Raise your hand. Wow. That was rough. Be Come on, guys. Do you not care yeah. about people? You just want people to keep dying, apparently. I guess. Yeah, no, I don't want ruid. people dying. What uh, will you, who, who, who will take it eventually? Um, if, if give, given that, <clears throat> if, it, if it seems to be, you know, no, no unexpected, serious, um, you know, unknown side effects that, or un unpredicted side effects that we don't know about now, and it continues to be effective after the high risk populations have had it. I would definitely consider getting it. So you um, want us? You want us to be your guinea pig, um, and then you'll eventually get it when we prove that. No, I don't really have a choice about that. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It actually makes perfect sense for people that are at highest risk from the virus to take the vaccine when its risk is because unknown. it's the biggest cost benefit analysis right right sure um, um so you're saying you would take it as soon as it's available for your demographic though not necessarily but but yes if you know if i if if we had a situation where the virus was under control um where it wasn't you know killing as many people as pearl harbor every day um <clears throat> and where my neighbors were like trying to take basic basic actions to be responsible for the people that I like to go to church with um, in some other places we're going to take basic responsible measures um, like wearing masks and other things that are known to cut down on the transmission it might be a little bit more of a question whether the vaccine's worth it but at this point everybody's got <clears throat> everybody's got shut down fatigue everybody's mad at everybody else everybody you know like the vast majority of people I hang with um, I'm not talking about <clears throat> about my little house church, but my kind of wider social circle. A lot of those people are are just you know determined that they're going to do whatever they're going to do, and 
and if I don't want to be be picking up their germs and spreading them to somebody that's going to die from them potentially, then I think the responsible thing to do is to get a vaccine if it doesn't seem like it's, you know, like there's really serious dangers associated with it. You're muted, man. What about you, Dave? What do you what do you think? I I spent some time thinking about it. Um, I guess I'm not I'm not an anti-vax type of person, so I'm gonna start out by saying that. But I'm pretty fairly on the fence about it. Um, I don't take the flu vaccine. Um, I guess because I don't I don't feel the need for it. And from what Anthony was saying, that's the first time I've actually considered that angle. Like for myself, it was just for me. Um, then I wouldn't take it because I don't see the point. Um, but um, I guess I, I would have to know that it's that it's actually if we talk about the cost benefit ratio or analysis or whatever. I would have to be convinced that it's um, that it actually is safe. Um, I'd have to see some other people that have taken it and see whether they turn into zombies with no empathy. Obviously, um, <laughs> obviously I heard that is your soul. <laughs> Turn, realize what that means when the whole medical community gets that vaccine first, David. Yeah, then they won't care. Nah, like the thing is, we're care. not gonna be able to tell Matthew. Not with them. They don't care anyway. That's true. That's true. Ma- uh, Matthew that's, I'm, I'm just, Christmas, so we already know it. Or we won't be able to tell if Matthew takes it. We won't even be no, able to tell with Matthew. <laughs> so I'm, I, I really want to argue with you guys on this one because I'm, I, I do not get your logic. So. You're, you're saying that you you want other people. Okay, so first of all, back up. The vaccine, it's taken a year to get it. So it's been tested, mm-hmm. not as much as other ones, but, it, but right. it's been tested and it's been fast-tracked. And the <laughs> FDA is not just going to let anything come through. Like, they're going to make sure it's safe. Um, so I, I would say that the threshold that it needs to go over or the filter it needs to go through to get past the FDA um, and to the first people is already a, a pretty stiff filter. So like why, as Christians, like what, why would we want other people to be guinea pigs before us? Um, like, I, I don't quite get that. Be, the, the, if let's, given, given that the vaccine is safe or given that the vaccine is not safe in either of those cases, um, it makes sense for the people that are at highest risk risk from the virus to get it first. I don't care if they're Christians or not. I agree. Why Matthew is so triggered that he left. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, agree. I, I, think, there. I, I want the I want the medical workers and older people and people with diseases or with other conditions to get it first. Absolutely. And 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 I think another Christian approach would be to you know be willing to say other people can get it first if they want it. So I, I have no issue with that. Absolutely. The, issue, the issue I have is when people say, well, I'm going to wait for me to get it until I see if there's negative side effects. Um, that that kind of posture to me is is like, I, I want other people to be my guinea pig. So then by that, um, by that argument, then you should sign up for every medical trial that possibly exists. Right. Right. No, that's, I, I get that. And it, I mean, that's an honorable thing to do is sign up for medical trials. Um, I guess it's, yeah, that, that's, that comes back to like, how virtuous are we going to be? Like, are we going to give all our money to the poor? That sort of argumentation. I'm just saying like on, on something like a COVID vaccine, 
it, it seems like the least we could do is, is be willing to take it as soon as the FDA approves of it and as soon as our demographic is ready for it. Not for us necessarily, but for the people who we might transmit the virus to who are at risk. Well, I mean, it does make a difference. I think there's, there's again, we really have to, our Western minds are modern 20, 21st century American minds default to thinking about this strictly in terms of my, the cost benefit analysis for me personally, but it's always has to be considered in, in terms of society as a whole. And, and also in terms of the smaller circle of people that we're directly responsible for. So I think it also makes a difference. Like if I have reason to believe this vaccine is very risky, um, as a dad with five children who depend on me and a wife, um, like it makes sense that if we're going to stop the spread of the virus, that I might be more cautious than if I was single and unmarried or if, if I was, you know, had raised my, my family already. I don't want to take, there, there are risks I would take in either of those cases in all sorts of areas that I won't take um, yeah. in this situation. So, so there's that to consider. Sure. You're saying you're trying to protect your family. You don't want them to get a, a risky vaccine. I, I, well, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying. I don't want to put, I don't want to put, I don't want to take unnecessary risks. I don't want to be reckless. And the vaccine is not, I mean, there's no sign that it's going to be required for maybe anybody besides healthcare providers or something. Um, so it's going to be a voluntary thing. And if, if I was like doing nothing except, except either taking the vaccine or not taking it, that might be an irresponsible situation to wait in, but I'm doing everything I can to avoid exposure. I mean, reasonably can to avoid exposure. I'm wearing masks in public places. I'm not a high risk for spreading, <clears throat> for picking up or passing on the virus as it is. Um, and that makes a difference too. Like I think, uh, you know, it's the people that aren't, that think masks are going to kill them and collapse their lungs that ought to be getting the vaccine at the earliest possible opportunity, because those are the people that are going to spread it if they encounter it. Well, I mean, I think even if we do everything we can, there's still a possibility we're going to spread it. But of course, coming back, coming back to the vaccine thing, like, I, I guess my calculation is pretty simple. And I, I simply say that I, I believe that the, the medical experts, um, even though that's a kind of like a bad word now in 2020 to even say that, I believe that they are, are more qualified to calculate the cost risk or the, the risk be and, and benefit analysis. I don't know if that's phrased correctly. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say. I think they're more qualified to make that calculation than I am. And if, if they understand how many people are dying from COVID, the fact that yes, we do need to rush it a little more than most vaccines, but we also don't want you know tons of people to die from a vaccine too. Um, I, I just tend to believe that they're gonna look out for their own skin when they um, recommend this vaccine. I mean, they're gonna get in a ton of trouble if they recommend a, a bad vaccine. Um, so I don't wanna go I, all cons all conspiracy theorist on you here, Titus, but oh boy, here the, the, I mean, there's possibly never been a medical decision with as much money riding on it as the decision to approve or not approve this vaccine. Or, or political and, pressure. And political right. as well. Just, I mean, the pressure is unbelievable. The incentives for making that decision corruptly are through the roof. 
So and it's not you like don't have, you don't no, have sorry. to have some sort of view that medical people are uniquely wicked to believe that there's a high potential for corruption. People with those kinds of incentives have a very hard time doing the right thing. And I think we need to be very open to the possibility that this decision is not being made in a cold, rational, calculated way as much as we wish it was. So what would what would their incentive be? Like, can you construct a, a theory of what might plausibly happen? What's the what's been their Have incentive seen... for the dishonesty that they've uh, participated in and the political stuff chicanery that they've participated in up to this point? I'm not completely sure, but they've done a lot of it. Well, it's on, on a regular basis. Doctors get outed and sometimes very prominent ones um, for taking money under the table that they didn't report from drug companies. I mean, that kind of thing happens. Those, it's, it's driven primarily by, usually by capitalism. Um, and companies will put money where they think they can get a return. And if they can get someone to think they can get away with that, that happens. Like that's documented. We know that happens. And if you want to know the other kinds of incentives there are, look at the way that public medical figures are treated this year. Look at the way Fauci's been treated by the right. Look at the way, you know, <clears throat> every word that Trump says medically, which is frequently misled, but it doesn't really matter if it's him, you know, the people on the left scream bloody murder about it as well. It's <clears throat> that the political incentives are, are horrendous, are disincentives for doing the right thing rather than the thing that's politically expedient. And right now people are waiting for this vaccine to give them the sense that life can return to normal and anybody who who makes a mistake that causes them to be seen as standing in the way of that is it's a potentially career ending um, decision. Okay, I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to follow what you're saying. Um, uh, but but like to, to simplify, it's the FDA that approved the vaccine, mm -hmm. right? So. Are you saying that the FDA has some motivation for approving a vaccine that has not been tested properly? Well, there's a and huge so, political motivation. We know that. Absolutely. Of okay, course, there's realize. a motivation. Like there, there's, there's been. This is the fastest. It, it's an, it's a novel treatment, and it's the fastest to market that a vaccine has ever happened. And there's billions of dollars at stake for whoever is first to market. Like there's huge political and economic forces at play. And I think that's the biggest issue for vaccine hesitancy. I mean, the anti-vaxxers, you're never going to get to take a vaccine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it took a hundred years for this vaccine to come out. Anti-vaxxers aren't going to take it. I don't, I, I'm not so much anti-vaccine, but I am vaccine hesitant. And, and this seems like a bad one to start out on. I, you know, I took, I gave my family the flu shot for the first time. I gave my older children and myself the flu shot for the first time ever this year, because I'm, it's a, it's a bad combination of stuff with COVID, you know, and when I evaluated it, it looks sketchy, but, uh, but so I'm not opposed to it. I just a little gun shy that, that some corners were cut to get it to market. And that's what I'm interested to see. Well, of course, corners were cut. 3000 people are dying every day. Like I would want them right. to corners. I, I'm glad there's a vaccine. I just not sure I want to take it yet. But but like think of the if the FDA is pressured for political reasons to approve of, of a vaccine quickly. I mean, it 
they're going to cover their skin. Like if if this vaccine ends Why? up harming people, because it's a it's, government agency, they don't agencies don't have accountability, especially in the government. Right. They'll investigate themselves and find out that they did nothing wrong. I mean, I here's mean, the thing. You, there's all kinds of drugs that pass the FDA that have problems. Yes. Yeah. Con continually. And and the companies that here, here's an example of something that's happened multiple times with drugs that turned out where companies or drug companies were caught peddling drugs, like especially peddling drugs for purposes that the FDA hadn't approved them for. Or what um, about you know, Oxy? That, yeah, th that, that's a good example. But there have been cases where like, there's like a, I forget what the rule is. It's a three strikes rule or something. Or um, if you, if you like break the law flagrantly several times in a row, you can be banned permanently from selling drugs in the U.S. market, that drug in the U.S. market. So drug companies will create a shell company when they get caught and sell the rights to that drug to that company. And then when the government brings down the hammer, that shell company gets banned from ever selling that drug in the U.S. again, and the parent company goes right on doing it. And like there is no accountability in a system like that. It's corrupt. We know the system is corrupt. The only question is whether the only question is whether that corruption has affected this particular vaccine in a way that would make it dangerous for us to take. And obviously, I believe most of the people involved in those agencies care about the safety of it. I don't think they're all just like snickering behind into, you know, snickering behind their hands about how we're all going to die from it. I don't think they're engineering our DNA like all of that stuff is nuts. But but there are incentives for them to make poor judgment calls on something like this. And we'd be fools to think they're, that, that, they're, that these people are immune to that. They're people just like we are, and they're embedded in a bureaucracy that makes it, that usually provides very little accountability. Let me ask you this, Titus. Do you think it's, do you think, can you imagine what the what the parameters are like so there's three thousand people a day dying from covid like as long as you're drastically below that number with reactions isn't that i mean isn't isn't there still a case to be made for the vaccine like if only a hundred people a day i'm not at all saying this i'm just playing hypothetical games right. if only a hundred people a day die from the vaccine that's a win right well, you're arguing for my case in, at this point, right? Or are you uh, saying I'm, that's utilitarian ethics and that's why you reject it? Both. <laughs> I mean, it is utilitarian, but I, I think the reason that I'll, I'll be frankly honest with you, the reason I'm vaccine hesitant is because of the bias that says I feel worse about doing something in a bad result than not doing something in a mm -hmm. bad result. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main head trip that I have about vaccines and about medicine in general. But, but where... How, how is that a helpful way to, to view ethics? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, the utilitarian view of the ethics is a separate question. I'm just telling you my personal biases, sure. where I come from, and why I'm slow to take vaccines. So given that perspective, and then when I run the analysis, uh, it looks like this is more likely to have problems than the other ones that I already am afraid of. And so that looks like a, it looks like a bad scenario especially without giving a little time to see what if there are reactions that come up and how people are responding to it well i don't think you should be afraid of the other ones so that doesn't help much but right um, but even if everything you guys are saying is true which i don't think it is 
as a Christian, isn't, wouldn't the right, I mean, it's one thing for your family, but wouldn't the right thing to do be as soon as our demographic, it's available for our demographic to put ourselves in harm's way and be the guinea pig before other people? Like if this thing's going to harm people, wouldn't, if there's a, a chance, like, and I right. think you guys wouldn't say it's, it's sure. Okay. But I, I hear your argument now, Titus. I think mm -hmm. I get where you're going. And I, I didn't quite catch it before. Uh, that's the best argument for all vaccines. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I think pr protection of the community at large is the best argument, Christian argument for all vaccines. And well, it's the one that keeps me on the edge. I think, but, I think Titus's argument went beyond that. It was a different one though, wasn't it, Titus? You're saying yeah. because it's a new vaccine, you're putting yourself out there. If there is harm from this vaccine, you'd like it to be discovered in your, in your body rather than in somebody that's not prepared for death. Sure. I mean, so I think there's less risk than you do, whatever. That's just a personal, mm -hmm. you know, opinion. But I, I think we, I, I, what, what I'm saying is like, whatever level of risk there is, isn't the Christian thing to do to, to take that risk before and not let other people um, take it before you just because you're scared. Like, shouldn't we be the ones willing to put ourselves in harm's way? Because someone needs to be the first one to take any vaccine period. Right. Mm -hmm. So why would the Christians be the last ones to take it to save our skin? But like I said, why this one? Why not sign up for every medical trial that exists then? By, by the logic that you have, it's incumbent on all Christians at all times and places to sign up for all medical trials because that puts, our, that puts us in harm's way. That's No, you're like, arguing, your argument is that if, if we should do some good things, then we should just all be doing all good things. And I mean, no, my argument, argument is that if it's on incumbent on me to do this because of these reasons, then it's incumbent. Why is this vaccine different that I should put my heart way in harm's way than the vaccine, the other vaccines or drugs that are being tested every single day that are going to kill somebody probably. So why shouldn't I be the one that gets killed? It's to me, it's, it's the same logic. And that's one side of it. The other thing is, um, I want to hit the utilitarian part, um, is that you're, you're arguing that, well, suppose the vaccine is, you talk about the fast track and everything, suppose the vaccine is going to kill 200 people a day, not saying it is, I'm, well, but whatever, but let's say that's still better than 3,000 people a day. Um, that sounds to me almost identical to the argument that people are offing themselves because of um, because of the shutdowns and stuff. So the old people are just going to have to suck it up because they're going to have to be the ones that die rather than other. It, it's the same to me. It's the same basic logic as the conservative crowd is using for why we can't do shutdowns because they're doing harm to people. Yeah, I'm not a fan of, of that argument to just let 200 people die from the vaccines. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't dig that. And I don't think the I don't think that's what the FDA is thinking either. Um, but but I, I mean the point. I mean COVID is a lot worse, which is why right. in this case it is more important for us to be willing to put ourselves in harm's way for a vaccine. And yeah, yeah if you want to do high. that for every vaccine, knock yourself out. Like like the argument that we can't do every good work and therefore we shouldn't do this specific one. I don't. Yeah, it's a terrible argument. So what about what about your babies? Um, you mean, am I going to vaccinate them? I mean, like, so the put yourself in harm's way argument. 
I, is, I don't get your question. What are you? I asking? mean, if, if if the premise is, and I hope everybody knows, none of us are making any claims about the vaccine or its efficacy or its safety. This You're is just casting uh, doubt on it. This is a hypothetical question. We're talking about ethics of the situation, not not details. I, I presume that the vaccine is very very safe if the FDA pa pa passed it. Uh, so disclaimer fully stated going back to the issue of if if the vaccine were more potentially harmful because it was so quickly produced and run to market and the the christian obligation is to be the bearers of that potential risk mm -hmm. what about what about your family what about your children are they are they potential bearers of that risk as well <sighs> No, I don't. Do babies get, or I don't know what age people get. Surely children are. Really? At some point. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I kind of. I'm a shoot rocker, not a doctor. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I, I don't know. Like, I, that's a different, that's different than me getting it for sure. Like, I, I mean, if, if you're saying I want to get it and then wait, and if, if I do, okay, I'll give it to my children. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that sounds legit. I think that's probably where I'll end up. Uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, as this rolls out across Europe and in the at-risk populations in America. Uh, by the time it gets around to me, which I don't know if that's going to be summer of next year or what, but I'll probably ha I'll probably take what I I'll probably take it and my older children, and then we'll see what what we do from there. That's what we did with the flu vaccine this year. Just my older children and I did it. I did want to mention one other thing, and that's the the people who say that aborted baby cells are used in them. And I think that is a legitimate ethical concern. Like I don't want to mm -hmm. propagate that practice. So the at least the um, filser is that how you pronounce it? The main one, Pfizer. Um, Pfizer. Pfizer. Yeah, that and and what's the other main one that they're rolling out here in America? Moderna. Yeah, both of those I believe are produced in in a lab. So there's no fetal cells used in, in those. There, in fact, basically none of them have fetal cells. There is one in Australia that there was an abortion in the 1900s or something that they've replicated um, the the cells from that one abortion. And so it's not the actual cells from the abortion, but it's basically right. like clones of it that were used in developing that one. Other than that, I don't know that any of them have used aborted um baby cells so that, that shouldn't be an issue with with this vaccine at least so i i want to hear because i don't understand why you feel like my counter to the um we're not going to get to christmas <clears throat> right um i i want to understand why you feel like my objection to titus's thing we need to take we need to take this vaccine because we need to put ourselves in harm's way or we need to be willing to put ourselves in harm's way um, is a bad argument. The way I, the way I heard Titus, I, since I'm between you guys, um, the way I heard Titus more how I would have framed his argument is that um, I'm going to wait and let other people take it first just in case it's dangerous so it doesn't hurt me is a terrible reason to wait. Is, okay, well... I don't want to take it anyway. The only reason I would consider taking it is for um, is for the reasons that you gave. Like I'm just if it was for me, um, I could ride this ball of rock around the sun till I crash into it, and I probably wouldn't take it because that's just I'm just not into that. Um, I've I, I 
not anti-vax. I just don't really see the point uh, for myself personally. If I was at risk population or something. Either. Same, same as you. Pardon me? Never mind. What did you say? I, I talked over you. I was just saying I agree with you on that. I don't care that much about myself for getting right. infected. So because of that, it's not like I'm like, well, I'm going to go and see if a bunch of other people die off. And then, but if I'm going to take it, if I'm going to eventually take it for other reasons, why then I guess I'll just wait and see what happens. Cause I'm not, uh, it's not like I'm waiting, you know, waiting in line to, to see that. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my rationale. Um, I mean, yeah. Curtis says, um, Blanky, DPLM has your back in this argument. So <laughs> you're in with some good company. Right, there you go. <laughs> Curtis, Curtis has already announced that Matthew is planning to vaccinate our children. So That's funny. Um, yes, and, and Sarah pointed out that that it's not being, re the, the current one is not being recommended for children under 16. Under 16, under, yeah. under 16, I guess. There you um, go. So that's not really a question at the moment anyway. And that that's the thing about, at least in my state, the rollout, I'm, I'm way down the list of priorities. So I'm not really that worried. I assume by the time it gets to me, there'll be time, I'll have had time to make a pretty decent assessment of whether it looks like there's anything alarming about it um, that should give me pause. And then I'll probably take it in due course. And then I won't have to worry, you know, for the next three months or so at least about, spreading it to somebody else inadvertently well what's interesting to me now at this point of our experience with covid is that i don't know what's happening to prepare like ebola was novel it was very deadly but not very contagious now covid is novel it's very contagious relatively and not very deadly relatively when those stars align and we have a novel virus that's very contagious and very deadly, it's going to be a bad, bad, bad deal. Like, I wonder what's happening in the world, in the medical world, to prepare or prevent the next novel virus from mm -hmm. emerging and how, I mean, I don't, we don't talk about wet markets anymore. We don't talk about bushmeat anymore. That's where a lot of these novel viruses have come from. And I'm surprised that there's not more work at the global level to to deal with these issues maybe maybe uh, factory meats the big thing that should be pushing we should be pushing to produce protein for the developing world or for the majority world so, that, so they aren't relying on wet markets and bush meat for for protein i think sustainable farming sustainable um you know non cafo farming is one of the big um, a mass could do a massive um be a massive benefit for the world's health um on a lot of these fronts but but i, I assume that like covid should have woken the world's governments up to the risk you know to the, to the level this the fact that a virus this been not relatively benign compared to some things that could have been can bring the world to its knees this way is going to make is going to create a political incentive to put more resources toward preparedness in the future. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, and I think we, we, we can count ourselves blessed that, I mean, as sad as it is how that it's killed this many people, we can count ourselves blessed that it wasn't something more deadly that it took to wake us up. Because um, there, there is one comfort 
that we've talked about, I think here before on this show, a, a highly deadly virus. Um, I mean, a, a high level of deadliness in a virus does actually work against infectiousness. Right. Um, because the more deadly the host is, dies and doesn't pass on, it doesn't pass on. And not only that, if, if the virus is very, very scary, all the people that are like, Oh, I'm not going to take any precautions. If it has 99% survival rate, are going to be singing a different tune if it has a 20% survival rate. One would hope. <laughs> I'm not very confident. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. So I want to I want to tell a little story um, that came to mind when we were um, doing this. Um, that that kind of underscores some of my concerns that I have with the um, with the the whole covid thing if you're watching right now this is matthew's story listening pose <laughs> so is that a bad pose i'm sorry matthew <laughs> no body so, language says when people cross their arms they're not receptive but i am very receptive it's just okay so uh some of you may remember i was a year old when it happened um the challenger disaster so it's before my time but matthew probably does i, I was at school i watched it happen live Right. Uh, have you ever heard, and this is not a conspiracy, this is widely known, that NASA was warned that that was going to happen? Yeah. So for those of you that haven't heard problem, this part, right? pardon me? They knew about the O-ring problem, yeah. right? Yeah. So the group, the, the engineers, the engineers, um, the engineering firm that had built the shuttle's full fuel boosters warned them that, because it happened, because it was launched in January. They warned them that if you launch it in cold weather, the O-rings can shrink and let the fuel leak out and blow it up. So they warned NASA, and NASA said, we don't believe that. One of them exclaimed, so when do you want to launch? In April then? We don't want to wait that long. So that didn't matter because NASA, NASA wasn't allowed because of policies. NASA wasn't allowed to launch without the engineering firm signing off on it. And so the engineering firm's like, well, we don't want to sign off on it because if you launch the rocket in January, it's going to blow up. And NASA said, well, that's great, and it might do that, but how about we go and take our rocket-building contract someplace else? Would you like that? And they said, tell you what, why don't you launch in January? One of the engineers went home and actually told his wife, it was a great day. We just had a meeting to go, to go launch tomorrow and kill the astronauts, but outside of that, the day was good. So... When you're dealing with gazillions of dollars happening, people do really garbage stuff. And so that's why, and, and this is not like the only time in all of history that something really garbage has happened like that that got people killed. But instead of a rocket launching with a bunch of, with millions of dollars at stake, it's hundreds of millions of people with a vaccine. So that's why I'm not super confident that the people that are making these decisions are going to do the right thing. That's just Again, a, that's not, not because example. they're, not because they're lizards whose eyes get slitted like a cat's when you get the when they catch the light right, but because people under that kind of pressure are poor decision makers. Right. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. it just, this just sounds like conspiracy theory to me. Like I, I, I don't believe any conspiracy theories whatsoever. So like to say to say you know I don't believe all these, but this is my one. You know. I don't think Titus I don't think anybody I'm I'm assuming I don't suppose any of us think that anyone in the challenger disaster who was in a position to make the final decision 
who was strong arming the engineering firm actually thought that they were going to blow the astronauts up. Right. If they had sure. thought that, they thought that it was a, there was maybe a risk, but it wasn't as bad as they were saying. That's the sorts of things that cause those sorts of disasters. So what I'm hearing from you is sometimes conspiracy theories are true, which is actually true. Conspiracies happen. Um, and some of the people who have theorized about crazy conspiracy conspiracies have been correct. Does that mean that like, I don't think this depends on, I don't think conspiracy is what this hinges on. No. It's error. It's not right. conspiracy. It's error because a conspiracy you face people are doing something on purpose. Error. You face a risk of error whenever you go to to a, get surgery done on you. Like yeah, you, and we manage that risk. Yes, and furthermore, but but that's not the the person who's deciding which day to do the surgery on Titus. I'm sorry, Titus, but you're not that important. The stakes are not nearly as high um, as they are when you're deciding when there are three thousand people dying every day, and you're deciding how fast to approve a vaccine. You, you know what the worst surgery to, to, to undergo is to jump into a C-section in the middle of a pressure environment when you're not, when you're just, you, you, you have all this pressure of an imminent birth and we end up with all these needless and problematic cesarean sections because people are rushing to hurry to make a decision because there's something on the line that they're afraid of. And that's, and we have way more of those in America than we should. That's a that's probably one of the most problematic surgical procedures that happens. I don't I don't know the data. I'm just I know there's a lot of unnecessary C-sections. So that that's like a that's like a managed risk. Like if you know you're going in to have a baby, you should think about that and prepare for when when are we going to pull that trigger? When when is it bad enough that we actually need to go in for a C-section? What's and if you don't know and you're just you're just going along with whatever's the easiest thing to do at the moment that's how you end up with unnecessary c-sections like uh, that that whole risk management scenario is exactly how this looks to me like if there's a vaccine that's going to have problems it's the one that's rushed to market years early with with billions of dollars at stake and tons of economic and political pressure like if there's a bad vaccine, it would be this one. And I, 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 I feel bad saying that, especially on a public platform, because we've been so, I think, conscientious about COVID. I don't want to, I don't want to dissuade people from taking the vaccine. But I also like just thinking about it, like if there's going to be a problem one, it's got to be this one. Like, isn't that a sensible? I, I agree. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm kind of tired of talking about this because we're going around and around. So let's get to, let's get to Xmas. So because we won't go round and round with that. I respond to what he said. You can say something, Dave, and then I'll then I'll get the last word. Right, so are you are you saying that you feel like the like the challenger story is because you said this is like saying I don't believe some conspiracies, but I do believe this one. Are you are you saying that well the challenger is is a conspiracy and not accurate? I I wasn't understanding no. what you meant by that. No, that uh, that was I'm saying that was I'm sure that was accurate. What well, I I agree that sometimes conspiracy theories are actually have validity to them but it's virtually never right um and and some of the arguments i'm hearing from you guys sound like the same arguments used by conspiracy theories theorists but let me so let me address what what you said matthew so there is a, a certain way that we kick into gear when there's an emergency and yes that can sometimes cause us to make mistakes but it can also i think cause us to to do things better in some ways like if, if we do things faster or 
Um, I don't know. I, I'm not really an expert in that area, but but that applies for anything. Like if you're in an emergency situation, you're gonna try to act quickly, and that's that's what that's what the world is doing because we're in an emergency situation. Yes, it's I'm sure it's more risky than other vaccines. However, it's also more necessary than other vaccines and and it should be more risky. Like if they if they took just as long and were just as precautious with this vaccine as they were with every other vaccination. I think that would be the the actual wrong thing for them to do because it because more people would die unnecessarily in that case. All right, I win. All right, well, you go get it for all of us. Take one for the team, <laughs> Titus, and we'll all watch and make sure that you don't grow an extra arm or something. Vinny is pro-vaccine, great. I rest yeah, he case. is. I actually had this conversation with Finney, and I really was, I, I'm, I'm much less, um, it, it, it helped me quite a bit because it was somebody that I knew and would listen to me about my hesitations that would take me seriously. Uh, it was actually really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Finney says it's just a numbers game. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but what I what I understood from our conversation about is that this is all a scientific process. I mean, Finney was involved in developing FDA um, FDA trials, so he knows exactly what the metrics are that they're using to de to determine efficacy and 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 adverse responses. So he explained the process to me and he believes in that process. And so he thinks anything that gets through the process is good. Sure. I have no idea how they do that. I, I have, I have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about this stuff. All I'm saying is I trust people like Finney that they're not right. like out to get us. Right. Well, I'm not worried about people out to get us. I'm worried about uncalculated error, especially well, like, it's like a Freakonomics question to me. Like I, there's a way of looking at incentive and motives like and all the uh -huh. incentive and motive structure of this whole situation is built on one side of the equation get a vaccine uh -huh. to market yeah and right. that that incentive structure scares me a little bit yeah that to me it's that's a, how it's different than a conspiracy theory a conspiracy right. theory is they blew the challenger up as somebody said in the comments because they didn't want uh krista mcauliffe to blow uh to blow uh, the whistle on the fact that the earth is round. Um, that's a conspiracy theory. Um, people making lousy decisions because there's a lot of money on the line is, uh, is a different thing. Um, in the same way, the microchips are in the vaccines. That's why they want us all to get them so they can kill our DNA and turn us into zombies and make us unredeemable so that we'll be able to be controlled for the new world order and all that stuff. Well, that's, that's conspiracy theory and it's, and it's baloney. But to say... When there's this much money on the line, there's some executive in office somewhere that could that could be looking at a at an engineer or whoever that's that's doing it and saying, um, I don't want to hear about this because there's too much money. If we lose this contract, um, I want you to bury that report because it's only going to affect one in ten thousand people. And so too bad the virus is killing more. And I could completely see a high power executive doing that because there's that much money there and it's not a that's to me that's not conspiracy that's just how people with gobs of money and you as somebody who um who hates money and what it does to people should be the first one to see that 
Well, money, see, the, the reason why there's gobs of money in it is because there's a demand for it. And the reason there's a demand is because people are dying. So like, I mean, capitalism is bad in some ways, but it also works in some ways. And I'm saying that like, there's a reason why they're rushing this. There's a reason why they're all competing to get it out first. It's because it's extremely necessary to get a vaccine. Well, um, it's extremely necessary to open the markets. I mean, we're talking about trillions of dollars of economic damage yeah. that COVID yeah. has done. And that's a, that, that the, the incentive value of those trillions of dollars across the world is, is not a small consideration. Imagine mm -hmm. everybody in the government and in science leaning one direction. That's what well, we're going. We're going around and around because the reason the markets are closed is because people are dying, right? So it's speaking of, but speaking of conspiracies, Titus, here's here's a good example from my own state. My state has never had a mask mandate because our governor, you know, Oklahoma has a reputation for being the most business friendly state in the union, and you know, we're not going to do anything that hurts business. Our governor earlier this year, uh, in phone calls with business leaders and health leaders deciding on policy, COVID policy, he's, he's, on, he's recorded in these calls talking about a covantage that Oklahoma can have. That's his, the term he coined by reopening faster than other states and getting an economic advantage. Is that cold-blooded or is that just making a good balance of decisions as a governor? He, like Oklahomans are dying now, hospitals are just about packed out like they are in a lot of places in the country. Oklahoma, completely disregarded the recommendations of health experts on when it should reopen and how fast in order to get a business advantage. Um, those are the sorts of decisions that are made all the time. People are dead in this state because of that choice that wouldn't have to be. And, and because of that choice that was labeled a covantage um, and, because, and because this governor still refuses to, to make a mask mandate, um, because it's not again it's not in his political interest to do so and and here's here's an, just another story to get you up to speed titus on how the world works um the whippersnapper <laughs> the, recently there was a recent article you can look it up on ProPublica. um maybe i can post it later but um you know, ProPublica is a solid investigative journalism outlet. They're not partisan one way or the other. And, and they did a story recently on hospitals. They've done a lot of good stories on medical, on medical incentives and, and rating the quality of care being provided and comparing it between different institutions and so on. It's really useful for patients and to incentivize better performance. And they did a story a while back in which they had a recording of a meeting for background, hospitals were being paid, hospitals, hospitals have access to more government funds based on, if I remember, remember this correctly, based on the level of, of success, heart hospitals, this was in particular, the level of success, the level of patient survival rate a year down the road from the surgery. Um, I, think it's the, I think it's a year survival rate that is the magic number. How many of your patients are alive in a year gives you the, the higher that number ratio is, the more money you get, the more funds you get. So obviously hospitals have an incentive to keep that ratio as high as possible, which would normally be a good thing. But in this case, they had a patient who had gone into a vegetative state after his heart surgery and they hadn't been able to nurse him back to health. He was a goner. Like it was clear that 
whenever the machine he was he was not conscious whenever the machines were shut off he was he he was going to die his heart was gone the surgery had not been a success they were discussing whether to notify his family he had family who were calling in occasionally check on his status i guess they lived out of state or something this meeting was recorded where the doctors involved were discussing whether to call his family and let them know that he's you know, he's not going to survive. Um, you can make the decision to take him off the machines whenever you're ready. And they made the decision to leave the guy on for like something like three or four more months, racking up hospital bills on the machines so that he would be alive when the magic date passed and they could, and they could count his, him as a, as a success <clears throat> before they turn off the machines. And, and this was the one meeting that was on record, but they had test, lots of testimony that this was how, how the hospital policy worked routinely. They were keeping patients, if they could, if, they, if the family wasn't interfering too much, if they could get away with it, they were keeping people on machines for months and months on end in order to make them, in order to get them on paper as having survived past the date. That kind of thing is happening on a regular basis. That's, that's a horrendous, cold-blooded, decision to act in the interest of your institution's success, financial success rather than the interests of medical ethics. And in fact, in the meeting, the doctor who was making the, the decisions was like, yeah, this is really unethical. Um, but like they were fully aware of what they were doing um, and it bugged them a little bit, but they still made the decision to go with the money. And so to think that when the stakes are way higher than that yet, um, we have nothing to worry about. It's just, it's just very naive. But that doesn't mean, like, I still think you have an Im impressive argument, Titus, that even if there is corruption, even if the vaccine is potentially really dangerous, and we're going to find out after the first, you know, million people take it, that, oh, it's killing people and we, we need to take it off the market. Like, your argument still works at that point. Yep. You want to be one of those million. And I think that's noble. Um, I'm not sure that. Well, it's it might not be that noble because I don't think it's that risky. But <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Would you do it if you thought there was a high chance that it was going to be pulled off the market for. Let, let, well, how about this? Would so. you have taken part in a, in a vaccine trial? I probably actually would have because, I mean, I, my wife probably wouldn't have wanted me to, but yeah. I'm not that concerned personally about getting COVID and, I tend to not be that concerned about like my own safety, not, not saying that I'm, I'm very noble because of that. It's just maybe more of a personality thing. Um, but I really do think we should have Finney on to explain to us how this works. Cause if yeah, we should, time, he actually knows what he's talking about. So maybe we can get him on. Text him, Matthew, see if he'll come on. I will. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll hit him up the next time I talk to him and see if he'll come on and, and talk to us about vaccines and why we should all take it. I, I'm sure he'd be you willing mean, to do that. You mean he might have this evening scheduled already? Probably <laughs> has this evening scheduled, yeah. I, I thought he'd just be, you know, chilling, kind of, you know, waiting for me to call. Media, watching YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> well, watching the DKP, obviously. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. he's watching. If we can get Finney as a regular listener to the DKP, I'd be stoked. That'd be a big win. All I want for Christmas. All right. <laughs> Cut it out, Dave. All right. So we're at we're at about I don't know how how long we were on before we went live, but we're at forty minutes now. Um, 
let's do a quick lightning round on on uh, Titus's bale bush and why we should burn it. <laughs> In short, druids. Yeah, take that, Titus. I, I know nothing about any of your arguments against Christmas trees, except I know there's an Old Testament verse that you take out of context. Other than that, I, I don't even know what you're saying, talking about when you say Druids. I've heard the name before. I know nothing about any of this. You know so nothing you because learn. you stuck your head in the sand and refused I, to read anything. Deep in the sand. I don't, I don't read I don't read Facebook comment threads. That's like uh, the abyss of, of some of the Or words. books either. <laughs> I do read books. I'm reading Plato, pagan philosophy. Not, clearly not the right. Yeah, enough Plato will probably help you understand Christmas trees. Well, let me let me let me ask let me ask this. What what would it what what would you have to what would convince you? Like so you know that the general premise, right, is that the 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 Hebrews and their prophets were always wrestling with these concepts of mixing paganism into the worship of jehovah like that's a that's a general truth right you you you're on board with that one sure depending on how it's defined i'm not on board with your pronunciation of jehovah though what do you want me to say yahweh 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 will work i'm english speaking so i'm gonna go with jehovah anyhow jehovah there's no j in hebrew uh, There's no E or, or uh, yeah, or O or any of that stuff that Matthew just said. Those poor Jehovah's Witnesses have been pushing the Jehovah name this whole time and there's no J in Hebrew. <laughs> Their whole religion is based on a scholarly misunderstanding. Uh, so you can put that in as general category as you want, but there's there's numerous passages. Like it's it's kind of the whole gig of the prophets is to pull the Hebrews back away from from the from, from literally worshiping Baal and sacrificing children to 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 Baal. Yes. No, all kinds of things. No. like the practices of the nations. Okay. Like that's the big that's the big issue. It's not just Molech. It's also cakes to the queen of heaven in the temple yeah. courtyard sure. it's the high place off the corners of, of your beards yeah it's all kinds of stuff like it is the gimmick of the prophets to 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 point out the the sedition of the hebrews in using the nation's practices in the worship of jehovah like that's their whole gig uh, not their whole gig it's a huge part of their gig yeah um so that's a general premise like you don't get to you don't get to invent stuff to bring into the worship of Jehovah. So mm -hmm. the then the question is where do we come up with the Christmas stuff? Like it's not in the Bible. We got nothing to go off of. It's all invented and it just so happens that it's all syncretic with a bunch of pagan celebrations. The trappings, the trees, the gifts, the candles, the time, the the date of the year, all of it has nothing to do with the biblical narrative and everything to do with pagan practices in a time when the expansion of Christendom was had had precipitously changed from uh, outlaw religion, where you were committing to a life of discipleship to Jesus, to a very popular social movement in the fifth and sixth centuries. That that's the argument in brief. That's the Reader's Digest, the argument of why Christmas should have nothing to do with any Christian celebration. Okay, so what if I just go go full on pagan? Or actually, before before we get 
<laughs> didn't come out yeah, right. before you do that <laughs> um, I, I actually didn't mean could, that could we word. talk about this first <laughs> sure um <laughs> i can't stop laughing now um so you so monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday right all all pagan names right it's so tired <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, asked, I am so uh, familiar I, with this debate i don't like i'm just i've heard this as a response so let me throw this in matthew we don't up. use that, we don't that use was the response for christian worship well don't you right. worship god on every day yes day of the what we call the day of the week has nothing to do with my <clears throat> christian worship right okay so my my tree has nothing to do with my christian worship is my response so so you renounce that it has anything to do with jesus of the incarnation yes then why does it say christmas on the sign that's leaning up against it it's a it's a cultural the, 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 <laughs> you're 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 not going pagan you're going roman catholic why on does it sunday have the word day in it when god created the day and the night that is, you're, you're, you're not trying I'm very so, hard. I'm so emotionally uninvested in this argument. See this? No, you're this. very emotionally invested because you went out and put a tree in your house. You did. You worked hard, and that's not a that's not a shabby motto either. It's it's like, beautiful, and, and my wife wanted it. So you spent yeah. money and you brought a tree in your house. Don't tell me you're not invested. Furthermore, <laughs> you're spending money on lights to light it up right now. I can see yeah. them from here. It's it's decorations for to, for my pagan tree, um, for my with pagan Jesus house. name leaning against it. I'm I'm. <laughs> I see syncretism. It's it's staring us in the face. You can't so, make that argument when we can see it on the screen. <laughs> yeah, I just I just have such a hard time caring about this. So I I literally okay. So I I really don't actually care a lot about Christmas. In fact, we probably won't even be able to go to the Christmas gatherings that we generally go to because our our governor just did a, a 10 person mandate here in Virginia. But even even in regular times, like I, I just don't, I don't like holidays very much. Like I don't like being around. <laughs> wow, that sounded really bad. Um, I, I don't I like just, being around my family. <laughs> certain types of social situations I don't enjoy. Let me put it that way. Um, I never really got into the whole, you know, read the nativity story and get warm fuzzies and, and focus on Jesus in the manger. Like, I I just, I really don't care. Um, and this, friends, is why the socialists are taking over. <laughs> so, to me, it really has nothing to do with my faith. My faith is like my prayer life, how I'm trying to exemplify Jesus to people around me. That That's my faith, right? Christmas has nothing to do with it whatsoever. I, it's a cultural holiday. We happen to live in a culturally Christian country, so it's culturally Christian. It has paganism in it, sure, whatever. Like, to me, I just, I have a hard time caring. So, so what you're saying is Christmas has nothing to do with your faith, like the uh, dead fly has nothing to do with the soup it's swimming in trying to understand what you just said <laughs> went over my head <laughs> Dave, well, you still don't really want here? it in I there not, i did not prepare for this debate I no, well see my my whole argument Dave has the opposite up. argument right see kind of but some of it like my thing is this i agree like because i because i i asked matthew and i hope i wasn't tiresome matthew because no, i just wanted no. to hear where he was coming from 
Because, like, uh, I remember asking about birthdays, and it, what makes sense for me, I guess I'll make Matthew's case for him, and then Matthew can say a little bit what it is, since Matthew has to say this all the time. Basically, the issue is not, we live in a pagan world, okay? So birthdays, days of the week, all that stuff is stuff the culture around you does. Right. The problem is when you look at stuff in the culture around you and you say, boy, that looks cool. Why don't we do that and say we're serving Jesus? That you can't do that. You can't do that because Jesus wants to be served the way he wants to be served, not drag um, oh, well, the, the pagan people in town are scared that the juju spirits will get them if, we don't, if they don't wear a green bracelet around their arm. Well, we don't want to tell them all to quit wearing their green bracelets, so we're going to call them Holy Spirit bracelets, and right. then, then we, they, they can be saved and they can still keep their heathen practice. Like, that's what Matthew is saying, that Christmas is that, that Christmas was that the, the church went and said, you guys want to keep having your Christmas tree, your your bale bushes in your house and do all your bale celebrations and stuff. You guys like that and it's fun and you don't want to quit. So we're going to call them Jesus celebrations instead. And you guys can keep doing that stuff. And he says, God's not cool with that. That's right. Matthew's argument. Right. So, and to me, the, the logic is impeccable um, from that perspective. My issue is, that two things, and this is one that I wanted to ask you about, which is the, uh, the what is it, the genitive fallacy or whatever, the idea that something that just because right. something comes from something makes it bad is not necessary, doesn't necessarily follow. Let's just make a hypothetical that, you know, somebody, somebody is separated from somebody separated from their culture, from their history, and whatever, and they have a practice that was at one time a pagan practice, they don't realize it's a pagan practice, this is what they know, it's what they grew up with. They have no intention of any kind of pagan practice. Does just the fact that at one time it was a pagan practice and was brought in automatically disqualify them from being able to use it? Well, I think that's the case in a lot of uh, in a lot of these mm -hmm. this exact case. I, I think a lot of people do it genuinely. Be, they then they don't they've never looked into it. They don't know why it should be otherwise. It's always been a Christian thing to them, and so so Christian it is. The, the the question is like I, I'm always putting this conversation back in the terms of the prophets because I think this is what they're I think this is what they're supposed to do to us is teach us about these principles. Like one of the major things that I that I want to learn from the prophets is how are they calling God's people back to the right mm -hmm. way? And part of it is their behavior, like you oppress the widows and the poor, and you're you're greedy and you do these wicked things. Like that's one call of the prophets. And the other is the mixtures, that you're confusing what God's trying to do in the world. Trumpianism is idolatry for the exact same reason. And if there was a prophet here, the prophets here would be calling the church away from that nationalistic idolatry. But there's there's religious idolatry too, and I think that this is a religious idolatry. And now I'm I don't know about culpability. I don't know about mm -hmm. I don't know about all that. I, I I'm sure that there are people that have nothing, no idea that anything is is going on with this. That do it with a clear conscience, and God's not not checking their name off of any lists over it. But 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 the question is what should the church be doing? The church should be teaching the truth. And the truth is these things don't belong mm -hmm. in our practices. Yeah, they, these questions all seem to always, people like to stall them out on that question. Like, oh, is God going to kick, kick all these people out of heaven because they didn't do this right? Well, God's mercy 
is a separate issue from the question of what we teach as truth. Right. We, we uh, know God is merciful. God's not looking for chances to destroy people and mm-hmm. he's not looking for ways to use their ignorance against them. But we don't use the fact that God's merciful to ignorance as an excuse to promote ignorance. Right. And, and so, so yeah. Um, there's a lot of cases of this. I, I mean, I feel the same way. I feel there's a similar principle at work in, in my view of baptism. Like I have doctrinal beliefs about baptism, but I also have practical beliefs about baptism. We use triple immersion. Well, that doesn't mean if you got poured at your church in a sincere baptism Mm -hmm. that you need to get rebaptized. I think there's a right way for the church to teach how to do baptism, but it doesn't invalidate anything that doesn't match that. It just means that if we can discern what the right way is, that's what we should teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. This, this is why this is the reason and i'll give kind of my background this is this is what i want to bounce off you matthew because i'm coming i'm not coming from titus's perspective really um and i've done a lot of thinking about it um i like we didn't grow up doing much for christmas we got together and ate lunch with um with my dad's family usually and um well i mean once in a while there might have been some gifts but it wasn't really like a big gift exchange or anything like that we certainly didn't do trees and that kind of thing And so it was always kind of silly to me when people made a big deal about Christmas because like what? So we can't go and eat eat at grandpa's that day because it's a day off and then that makes it pagan because like it it just seemed kind of weird to me. Um, Obviously, we didn't see all the we didn't see all the excesses and stuff. Um, I I didn't see that firsthand because we didn't do any of that. But as I got older, so Christmas, I didn't really care about. Then as I got older, um. And especially as I started paying attention to the church calendar, I found Christmas to be really meaningful as part of the story arc um, that starts, you know, with Advent. It's in, in, and I think being in winter is so picked is a pictures, you know, the darkness of the world during, especially the intertestamental period, you know, and then Christmas being the, the, you know, the coming of Christ in the, in, in, in the middle of the darkest time of year, then through to Easter and um i celebrate ascension day i celebrate pentecost so i view it as a as an overarching traditional church calendar now you could say well the reason the church calendar is what it is is because they went stole from pagans and that's possible but i feel like i feel like there's a difference in celebrating it's not like i picked this one holiday that the world makes a big deal of and celebrate that because it's fun to do because i think that's what a lot of christians do that's one of my brother chris is pretty anti-christmas and that's his argument. He says, if the world wouldn't be making a big deal about Christmas, the church wouldn't either, because um, you just want to go and do all this stuff the world is doing, and it's okay because we're doing it for Jesus. And I feel like I haven't just picked one or two holidays that the world makes a big deal of. I make a big deal of holidays that the world doesn't, because it's part of that overarching story, and it would be really hard for me to to move away from that um yeah, that that piece of the story because I, I just feel like it, like it creates a really neat arc. And well, so yeah, I, I think that what I would say to that is that two things. I I I'm not very calendar oriented. I'm I'm the most non liturgical person you can imagine. Like I'm I'm as extemporaneous as they come. Uh, so I don't feel that need, but I recognize that there are a lot of people like you, Dave. There's a lot of people that custom and cycle and tradition and anim are very important to. And it means something to them. So I don't want to discount that. What I would say is that 
Tertullian makes this case. He's actually talking about the Saturnalia when he makes it. And he's rebuking the lax church for exactly this. He says, you, you put up wreaths on your doors, you put candles in your windows, and you give your neighbors gifts, just like the pagans around you. Why are you keeping their calendar? They would never want to keep yours. And he mentions the Christian calendars that he keeps, but he doesn't mention Christmas. He says Pascha and Pentecost, like that's his version of liturgy. That's his liturgical year is Pascha and Pentecost. And I think that's because there's, I really do believe that a regular practice of the Eucharist is a regular practice of incarnation. You don't need it when you have a, when you have an alternative, like there are, there are Bible alternatives to worship and celebrate the incarnation. And it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be mixed with all this garbage that is filth, that is consumerism, that's, that's, that's you know, pagan practice derived. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't have to have all that to have, uh, to have a sense of a Bible year and, and a liturgical practice. It's, it's just not necessary. So, and, and I'm not, well, I kind of do want to pin you down on this because I want to know where you're at. <laughs> But right. not in a, like, trying to corner you thing. Um, so, like, for me, I could care less as far as gifts and, and whatever. But this time of year, um, part of it is because everybody else is talking about Jesus coming and the birth and everything. But, like, for me, I could enjoy Christmas as a commemoration of Jesus coming just by myself having chosen that time. And I realize it's not completely divorced from culture. But just specifically the commemoration like the consumerism that does nothing for me i I could care less the the lights and the and the everything i could care less so is that just the fact of spending this time of year remembering the birth of christ is that pagan per se i think there's that you would never come up with it this is what i this is what i keep saying is that you would never derive that on your own so where are you deriving it from? That that's the ultimate question to me. Like I have no reason to part to pick the end of December, the winter solstice, as the time to make a mention, mentally, spiritually, or otherwise, of the incarnation. There's nothing Christocentric about that. It has to be derived from something else, and whatever else that's derived from is a bad thing. So why mix the poison with? with what's genuine so matthew's getting all fired up which is fine um and actually i did want to say like my whole like i don't care thing is kind of true but that's actually a really dumb argument because like, yeah, <laughs> i mean if, if if what you're saying is true i should care right, right. Um, i i think that it's there's kind of an exha- exhaustion of like issues that i have to figure out what i believe on that at, at a certain point i'm just prioritizing certain things over others and that's probably part of it but that's also kind of dumb um but i, I did i did want to question you a little bit more matthew so you're okay saying monday tuesday wednesday which are pagan gods and you're taking up the names of pagan gods on your lips when you do that because there's nothing christian associated with that so you I, I think what I'm hearing from you is you're okay with paganism as long as you don't mix Christianity or you're okay with the shell of paganism. You're not specifically worshiping those gods, but there's a, a cultural shell of paganism that is still in our culture. Um, so if you look at Christmas, like the tree or whatever, I have no idea what the origins of it is. And, but 
you, you could say this is also a cultural shell of paganism. And in that cultural shell, people have thrown in some baby Jesus stuff. Um, is it, and you, you keep bringing in the prophets. I just, I don't think that works because I, I think the prophets had an issue with syncretism because it was actually stealing the hearts of the people. Like the people were actually wanting to worship these other gods. Like their hearts were being pulled that's not guys. true. That's not true. It's not a proper analysis of the Old Testament. There, the, that was the end result. What the beginning was is an incorporation of those practices into Jehovah, and he takes it very seriously, yeah. like okay. the strange fire in the temple, but also the groves in the high places, and the altar at Bethel. These aren't these aren't for false gods. They're not chasing a false god. They want to worship Jehovah with these mechanisms from the nation, which is exactly what Jeremiah 10 says. He says the, the customs, the customs of the nations are vain. Don't use them with me. But but my question is why, right? You said it starts with some of these things and then it pulls right. them in. Do you seriously think that yes. like I'm gonna start with this tree and I'm gonna slowly get pulled into paganism? Yes. Like, do you seriously think that? Yes, just like I think voting slowly slowly pulls you into nationalism. So who, do, who do you know who who is now a pagan, who who it started with Christmas? No, here's what happens. On the planet. Here's what happens is that your heart gets deceived, and you start to buy into this. Even if you, even if that's all it means for you, you start buying gifts for your children, and then it becomes a super commercial thing. And even if you kind of try to regulate that. It happens in a generational spectrum. You create the happiest, fondest memories of your children's life. And then you mix a little bit of Luke chapter two into that, that morning ritual where you get a neat little present. And the next thing you know, you have a generation of people, because I talk to them all the time, that this is the most Christocentric moment that they have in the year with their family, especially in the evangelical world. Like, okay. uh, let me say this, that the, the, the Anabaptist world is a weird anomaly like it is with everything else. Like a lot of the people I talk to about this are meno, are, are meno culture people. And it's not, it's an aberration. It's like Lancaster County. It's, that doesn't count. What Christmas is, is what it is for most people. And what it is for most people, whether you know it or not, is uber commercial, is uber religious, is a banquet at your church, is a play for the children, is a is a performance. It is so mixed with Christianity so, that it can't be ex extrapolated. So to be to be clear, your issue is not the pagan origins. Your issue is the materialism and the commercialism. Well, I have problems with paganism, but I don't beef but with you, pagans. When I pagan. when I made an argument against that, you you oh my my kid is throwing all. Glory, my he's got the prophetic. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, that was the best part of this entire podcast. That like freaked me out. There's like this bang, and my kid is like smashing yes. idols behind me. If this doesn't wake you up, Titus, you're probably beyond hope. <laughs> oh man, that's loves. right. I think he knows. Now go get the tree, boy. The <laughs> tree now. He has been yanking at ornaments. He finds them quite fascinating. Um. Anyways, what I was saying is that, like, I made an argument against the whole pagan thing, and then you, you instead of responding to that, you transition to a, a rant against materialism, which I 100% support. Like, I'm 100% I'm against that. That's idolatry. That's the point. The, the paganism or the materialism? Both. 
So you those you, gods are those gods are idolatrous. They encourage materialism. They encourage all these sorts of things. You think there's a spiritual link? To. You think there's a spiritual link between my tree and and and, and the fact that people spend a lot of money over Christmas because those uh, ask those corporate gods America. So that's corporate America beings, if there's a link. So there's a spiritual beings that are alive and well. Whatever these gods were, the pagan gods back then, Thor or whatever. Probably not Thor, but. Um, and and they're they're real spiritual beings, which I don't Big necessarily contest. And you. those spiritual beings are empowered by that tree to impact me to be materialistic. You're 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 making claims that I don't have to substantiate. I don't care. I don't care if that's true or not. I mean, it could be. It could not be. What I know is that I think. What I believe is that that practice subverts God's people's hearts away from what he wants them to be focused on, especially when you try to sanctify it with worship. Like when you mix those customs of the people with his worship, it does weird stuff to people. It turns you out of the way and it, it perverts what he's trying to do with his people. And I know that that happens with Christmas. And it doesn't well, have to be a being or not. It just has to be the the defilement of a principle that God put for his people that we clearly can see and and not asking the questions that we should be asking as his people. Like, where does this come from and why would I mix it with Jehovah? And and you said it again. Um, the Yahweh. <laughs> we, so um, we uh, can, can yeah, I say something sorry. on this? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I think I think the issue, I think with the, a big issue here that also plays into this is solidarity. The reason God's people were always wanting to imitate the pagans was because like that looks, looked kind of like a cool way to worship their gods. It, it's there's the world always like the people around us exert a pull on us. God was trying to create distinction among his people. Like that's the key thing that that's the key concept in holiness so, um, in the old Testament is creating a distinct people whom he can establish a completely different worldview, a completely different way of approaching sin, all the, this whole range of differentness. Um, and, 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 and when you adopt practices from your pagan neighbors, you're diluting that. And when you do that, you are not only, you're not only diluting the differentness that God is, that God's trying to create this clean space where he can work, um, without all this pollution, you are also those kinds of very tactile practices like, you know, hanging up the greenery or, you know, kissing under the mistletoe or whatever, whatever your traditions are that you act out in your life that you embody, those create solidarity with other people who are carrying out those traditions. And, and, and there's a linking of hearts there that you, you, I noticed, Titus, that your language is individualistic all the way through this conversation. You're like, am I going to become a pagan because I have a tree in my living room? No, we're, we're building a people here. Not, it's not just about me and, my, and, and whether I'm personally going to become a pagan. It's about whether I'm going to establish a sense of solidarity with pagan customs. And, and and I kind of, I kind of want to throw a wild card in here because I said I was going to be the voice of moderation. I haven't really been the voice of anything on Christmas so far, but um, the except to scoff at Titus, but um, but that doesn't count. So the here's here's what I revisited this today because I knew we were going to be talking about this, and I've been rolling it around with my brothers here locally. We're not all on the same page. Um, 
and and what's really really clear about this is that the customs the trappings around this are pagan like there is no you know there's no historic argument against that there may be a small exception here or there but you know the tree is pagan the gift giving is pagan the candles are pagan mostly the the um um, anyone can anyone can document that for themselves. That's beyond the scope of this discussion. I don't think anybody on this, you know, any of the hosts here need that explained to them. But the but the date is a really interesting subject, and I'm gonna and and I'm not I'm not going there with Matthew that that the date has to be thrown out because in my research what I found was that. Um, there definitely wasn't agreement. And like what we know from history is there's no evidence that anybody was celebrating Jesus' birth birth on December 25th um, or thereabouts at any point during the first couple of centuries. Like we have no evidence. Um, so it's not an original practice. And that's a response that that's a response for the people in the comments that are saying, well, the Orthodox church does it. Um, late fourth century is the first and it's just mentioned it's not a established church practice it's mentioned a couple of times in the fourth century and and but but the interesting thing is there's a couple of things here um one is people you know didn't really know for sure when jesus was crucified they established a date for his crucifixion very early on because that was an important date to them um the the church probably got that close to when it happened but there's a jewish custom in well, which heat off import- of pasca so it's easy to figure right um and the and yeah and pasca they knew from the very beginning right i mean the calculations are complicated but it's but the when it falls basically is is not in question but but there's a jewish custom which the church sort of some people in the church kind of followed which dates a person's death considers a, a, a uh, like someone like Moses or Joshua an important figure they like to traditionally consider his death and birth to be the same day um, from the research I found so for a while people a, a number of writers sort of considered Jesus to have died on March I'm sorry to have been born on March 25th like it wasn't a date that was prominent in their minds at all but March 25th would have been um was the traditional day on the i think the roman calendar i I don't have all the details in front of me but but there's a citation and an april one or the earliest ones that are far predated right right and and so march 25th was one of those dates that was kind of popular fairly early on um and and over time um the March 25th date is interesting because it's exactly nine months before December 25th. Um, it was also considered significant because it was on the equinox. Um, and, and, and Jesus was associated with the sun, you know, the sun of righteousness and so on very early on. Like this was an association that goes way back in Christianity. Um, and so, and so there was a precedent for the pagans, like a syncretizing Jesus and the sun god, what like when like Constantine did when he came along. Um, but it it really appears that 
that uh, there's there's Matthew's probably familiar with all this, but I, I wasn't familiar with all of it. That um, at some point very early, somebody started celebrating Christmas on December 25th, um, earlier than I've been led to believe. Definitely before Constantine established all the pagan mixture. Um, before there was a the, before there was significant pagan mixture going on. Um, one of those hints is that Augustine talks about the Donatus, um, who he in he's writing about 400, writes about the Donatus who <clears throat> who were were founded in 312 and rejected all the basically rejected the innovations that came after them. Um, the Donatus he accused of not keeping Epiphany, which was January 6th, and by by August by Augustine's time, the Advent was a way bigger, um, a way bigger holiday than Epiphany was um, on December twenty fifth. And Augustine doesn't mention the Donatus um, that the Donatus weren't keeping Advent. He accuses them of of not keeping Epiphany, but doesn't mention Advent, which is an argument from silence that the Donatus apparently had a history in North Africa of of celebrating the birth of christ on december 25th and you, the earliest right that because they didn't keep epiphany on january 6th that they kept because augustine is attacking them right. and he attacks them for not keeping epiphany but not for not keeping the much more significant holiday of of um the holiday was by that time much more significant of advent um which suggests that he would have attacked them for that if he if they were known to not keep it it's an argument from silence it's not a strong argument but it's a better argument from silence than some arguments from silence anyway the the other point is that all the earliest mentions of december 25th no one associates it with that there's no hint that um the church had established it on that date or that they thought that they thought that they had that they had chosen a pagan you know that they were competing with a pagan date and that's why they had chosen it um there's the the connection which is very interesting is that the tradition came to view jesus annunciation um like the core event of his incarnation which would have been his annunciation and conception right. as having happened on on march 25th and that still fits with that jewish idea of someone you know, coming into the world, leaving the world on the same day, um, <clears throat> because the significance in Jesus' life was in the conception. You know, that's when God became incarnate. Um, the March twenty fifth date is significant, and that would just have him being born as a result on December twenty fifth. It seems possible that the date was established almost ha happened to line up with the brand new holiday of um the the uh what's it called the birth of the unconquered son Sol Invictus. um that it just happened to line up with that because the because the church established a tradition of his annunciation having been on december on march 25th um regardless the date the origin of that date is very shrouded in mystery and 
I have never been able to find any evidence that clearly um, where you can make a, a really good case that the date was drawn from paganism. Um, the Christians very readily saw that there was a symbolism in having Jesus <clears throat> being born in the dead of winter. And, and you know, Christians have celebrated that ever since that, you know, the, the son of righteousness rises out of the darkest time of year. Um, but that's all but from it was, the Saul son confusion. Like that's, that, that's the origin. That's a point in my favor, not in contradiction. Well, it's I don't a, think it's a, a continuation of the solstice. Like, it, it, it's the syncretism of sun worship except except that if if uh except that if the if it was coincidental that the date ended up landing there well i don't uh, i mean i don't then 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 you're not doing syncretism like it was a date that was unclear to people and so they wanted to celebrate it and you can argue i mean you can get into the regulative principle and say well if the apostles didn't establish Jesus' birth as something none of us celebrated, right? So I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think but that's what anyone's arguing. Here's the problem: in it, your, if, there's a problem with that whole analysis, though, because this isn't Kabbalic. Like, I don't think the Pope decided December 25th in the third century, and then, and then they all decide. I don't think there there was a council where they sat around and said, "Hey, this Saul Invictus thing is really cool. Let's make that the incarnation." That, that did happen with some later things with saint yeah. worship and whatever else, but I don't think that's the case. There's a lot of cultural factors that pushed the, the merger of the incarnation with December 25th. So there's marks all along that path. There's signposts. And this is one of them. This, this merging of the idea of the solstice that, for, that the pagans had, that the world is dying, and at the winter solstice, it turns the corner and the world comes back to life. The evergreens, the pine trees, all this stuff fits within that pagan world framework that the world was going to die. And due to our celebrations or our religious practices, we brought the earth back to life, just like the animists still do all over the world today. Mm -hmm. that, that notion, when you mix it with, when you mix Saul, sun, with S-U-N, sun, with S-O-N, sun, which is exactly what Constantine is doing late in his reign. Okay that and and you have the Saul Invictus at that time and you have the Saturnalia with all of its impact on later medieval Christianity it's very clear that all of this is syncretic cultural tradition now why they how they justified that is all you're explaining like a a, a fourth century rendering of of the Annunciation in March it squares nicely with that but it's is it coincidental or causal who knows and who cares the facts remain well so, the fact the the but we don't know what the facts are about about the origins of that date is all i'm saying and and just to uh just to yeah i i you know you could argue that malachi 4 um verse 2 um makes a connection between the messiah and the son that's <clears throat> that's uh that 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 gives us a christian precedent for that pre-pagan but the but the the real the i guess where where i'm where i'm coming into this debate my my platform for tonight is i think i think it's very i i think i'm against syncretism as much as matthew is um and i think it does matter um 
the like it's a big theme in the old testament if you haven't seen it you should go research it because it's very like do your own research on this please uh, it's it's a very it's a very it's not it's not a minor you know it's not a minor note there it's a big deal um in the fourth when aaron century. made the when Aaron made the golden calf, he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then he said, tomorrow's a feast to Yahweh. Um, right. And everybody danced around the calf and got drunk. Right. Um, the children rose up to play. Yeah, that calf represented Yahweh. And they were having a good time celebrating Yahweh at a very dark time in their history when they needed encouragement. Um, so... <clears throat> So if you've got a problem with the golden calf, you ought to have a problem with other pagan trappings being used in the worship of God. And virtually everything about how Christmas is celebrated, other than the, Chris, uh, other than the overtly Christian parts that talk about Jesus and maybe the nativity scene, um, is pagan. So I, I would argue for that we, since we have very deep roots in the church, going back to the fact that like there did not seem to be a controversy at any point about whether we should whether it was wrong to celebrate the birth of christ that doesn't seem to have been in question um um that because the date is unclear and it's just as good a place to pin the date as anywhere else i think to to have a principled rejection of the materialism of of the you know the pagan symbols um, and all of those things, and, and really reject those things in a principled way, not participate in the, in the pagan parts of this, of this event, and just have a very quiet, calm celebration of the fact that God became man, um, is a compromise that I would be comfortable with, that I, I would not feel is, is, is syncretic. Um, I, and and I, but I, I don't think that we can just, you know, go with the flow on that and do what everybody else is doing and think that somehow that doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm I w surprise, surprise. I'm not buying all that. I mean, listen to your whole argument in the fourth century, the advent was picked at, at based off of epiphany in January. And that's how we end up with December 25th. No, no, no. We have, we have strong, strong hints that it existed well before that. I, I don't think there are on. any strong hints that existed well before that. In fact, the evidence that we do have, uh, so let's start with the text of the Bible. The, sh the, the shepherds are keeping their sh flocks in the fields by night. Like the one time of year you wouldn't do that is the dead set of winter. Oh, that we know he probably absurd. wasn't born in the middle of winter. Yes. So, so, so this incarnation celebration on December 25th is absurd from the biblical text. Then when we look at then we look at the early dating, so we have nothing for about two and a half centuries, where with a church that venerates its martyrs and marks its apostles and all the dates that it can, a very date-centric church doesn't have an incarnation celebration. And the church that also had access to Mary and the brothers and sisters of Jesus still has no incarnation celebration. We get up to the third century, and now there's finally some attempts at dating, and they're in the spring, mm -hmm. not in the winter, both yeah. of them. All of that, all of the evidence that we have for 400 years says there's no December 25th incarnation celebration. So it's a late fourth century invention when we know a lot of other really creepy, really bad syncretism is happening throughout the whole Christian empire. 
Like it is the rise of the Christian empire. Like none of these clues validate any sensible looking at December 25th as an original Christian institution. Not the text, not the, the silence in, in a date-centric church, and not when they finally start guessing about when the incarnation was. Right. The, the question for me is, I, I don't think there's a, a strong case to be made that, that the Advent is an original pagan institution that was borrowed either. Well, because... I don't know about all that. The Advent is late. I mean, it's not, so nobody's I, I talking think... about it early on. But the fact is, there are good syncretic reasons to pick December 25th, and they're well enumerated. We can see them, mm -hmm. we can mark them, and we can count them. So, so we have all the evidence on the syncretic side of conscripting paganism and no evidence on the other side for a biblical account or a church account of December 25th. No, we actually don't have any, that, that was what I was looking for. And I don't, and, and what I found was that the first mention, the first uh, historian who linked Christmas, Advent or Christmas with Sol Invictus was like in the 12th century. That's a long ways down the road. Well, Tertullian's um, talking about our customs from Christmas in the Saturnalia. And I think the Saturnalia is as Saul Invictus is, a, is the pinnacle in the third century. Like Saul Invictus doesn't have a lot of records about it. We know it's on coins right. and constant, the sun worshipers were probably mm -hmm. right before Constantine, the sun worshipers are the big, on, the big innovators for Saul Invictus. So I don't know that it mm -hmm. goes back to the first century at all. But what I do right. know is that right before the time we start having Christmas, we start having a really emphasized Sol Invictus. And Sol Invictus is the pinnacle of the Saturnalia. The Saturnalia is where all of our trappings about incarnation celebration come from at the time in the third century and up until now. The so there's a, line of scholar, there's a line of scholarly reasoning that actually says, suggests that as Christians were pushing back against Gnosticism and highlighting the incarnation. That may be. Um, that that advent became more and became a more important holiday and i can buy that that's that's a really that makes you know i can buy that too and the but it's a syncretic the, motive it's a way of winning well, the argument with the through the back door well not necessarily because because the gnostics i don't know that the gnostics were celebrating that's i'm not i don't think not sol invictus was a particularly gnostic celebration um i don't think the gnostics had a big deal that I know of at, at the sol winter solstice, but it's, it's just that the incarnation became a, a more of a focus for the Christians or the, you know, the actual, the fact that Jesus was born to a real woman in a real human body as a real human baby became more important as Gnosticism for the church to emphasize as Gnosticism arose. And if we're not talking about syncretism, the idea of the church just simply introducing new customs that are are that are designed to wis to to emphasize the fact the facts of our faith that are under attack. I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to do, um, as long as we're. I mean, that's the opposite of borrowing from paganism, and the and the argument goes further. And again, we don't have you know hard evidence for this, but I think it's a fair. I think it's a as fair an argument as some of the ones you're making, um, if in fact the that the, the birth of Christ began to be celebrated as a response to the Gnostics claiming he didn't come in a real human body, um, then it's also entirely possible that the emperors who were, the, the, that the invention and especially the increased emphasis and, and 
um, resources put into the Sol Invictus celebration could have been a pushback against Christianity and its and its rising popularity and its um, and and its celebration of the incarnation of Christ in that very important solstice time. I think this is pretty so, far so in the it, weeds. Like what I would say to cut through all this is that. There's no Bible for this. There's no church history for this until the fourth century. If you want to look at fourth century traditions or origin or originating in the fourth century for where you're going to pull, like we, we, sh we can have Nicaea and a bunch of Arianism and all kinds of stuff in the fourth century. Like there's nothing like I, I'm happy saying, I, I think primitive Christianity would have had nothing to do with a December 25th incarnation celebration because why why doesn't Tertullian mention it when he's rebuking the the, the church for keeping Saturnalia uh, it's much more sensible to say if Tertullian's rebuking a lax church for doing the customs that we associate with Christmas and and then right after that we start to have some notion of a Christ mass celebration in that same time of year it's much more sensible to see the causation between there than inventing one out of out of some uh, some some other more genuine cause. But even if you invent one out of some genuine cause, like a, a an incarnational <laughs> focus to push back on Arianism, you're still way late in the game, and you're still borrowing all the culture pagan customs in order to make your point. Well, I don't think that that's that's what's also not clear to me from the history is that those pagan customs were part of it from the beginning. I don't think they were. It appears very it's, you know, that the hints we have appear suspiciously like the church had a had some form of Christmas celebration um, shortly pre Constantine. Um, it was competing with Sol Invictus appears pretty clear, and it's not clear who innovated in order to combat whom. You know whether whether Sol Invictus was responding to a Christian celebration or the, whether the Christian celebration was pegged there to push back against Sol Invictus. Um, but in any case, Constantine starts starts like kicks the the syncretism into high gear and he starts laying layering all these pagan customs on top of the Christian customs. I don't think there's any evidence that that was happening with Christmas in its first few years of celebration. I don't think it was a very big deal originally. I don't think it was either, but that's what I'm saying. Um, that I, I think there's, I don't think it's there's probably a small local cult. There's a solid, there's a, there's no question it wasn't there at the beginning, or we have no evidence that it was there in the first couple of centuries. Um, we know that it was a later innovation. I don't think, uh, like, I'm not convinced that it was a pagan, that it was a that it was syncretism. I'm not convinced that the, that Christians borrowed that celebration from the pagans. But you would admit that all of that syncretism got piled on, whether it was the original got piled on later, right? But so so did it with by Easter. By the time it all ends up, but so did that happen to Easter and to, to Pascha, and and I still believe in celebrating. I still believe in celebrating that. Maybe you don't. I'm not sure. Just where not you with are the bunnies. Right. Um, but but I think it's a Christian holiday that's been that's had pagan things mixed with it, and I'm, and and I, I'm very open to the possibility that that's also what happened to Christmas. It just happened, it, it just launched a little later, and got the pagan things piled on, short more shortly after it was launched. 
but surely um, you distinguish like we have a good pedigree in the Bible for Pascha. Like we right. know exactly where it comes from and when and why. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. We don't have yeah, any of those far. things with with Christmas. So let, exactly. me, let me interrupt this Matthew versus Anthony for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made my case for the moment. So you guys just go after it. So, so I, I think, Matthew, you have a decent case. I'll extend an olive branch in hope of, of getting one back that I'm sure I actually won't get. But it, I, I could use this same line of argumentation. So I would say that there's a spectrum of, of this line of argumentation because I could use this sort of argumentation for other things as well. I could say that when the, the most, like, like the foundation to our faith is the Genesis creation account. And in the Genesis creation account, God created the seven day week. Like this is so sacred. This is so foundational um, to our entire worldview. And then these pagans come along and name these days after our gods. And, and because I'm accepting that, I'm, I'm allowing that some spiritual power of paganism to affect me every time I say that, which is making me um, sexually immoral and materialistic, which is what idolatry always does. I can use that same line of reasoning for the days of the week. And what I heard you saying earlier, like, like I, I tried to press you on, do you actually think like, that, that people become pagan as a result of, of hollow here's, cultural trapping. Here's where that analogy would work, Titus. It would be, it would be a proper analogy if we started saying, well, mo- Monday is moon day. That's the day that God created the moon. And we made a special celebration of God creating the moon on moon day. And Tua is, we're going to take Tua. She was a Viking goddess. And we're going to say that that's, the fish in the sea and that's the day that god made the fish in the sea and wednesday is woden well woden is the same as zeus so we'll celebrate the father on wednesday and thor is the son of woden so we make thor's day uh the day of jesus's coming into being like if you if we were doing that in the church then you could make a similar comparison to christmas but if it's called Monday or if it's called the first day and it has nothing to do with our Christian practice, then it's immaterial. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. Thursday would be when Jesus chased the people out of the temple, just to be clear. <laughs> with a hammer. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> just, to, just to take it, just so you can understand how I'm, I think, okay? It's kind of like the whole Paul and meats thing. Like, he's like, you just eat what's offered in the meat market. You know, these gods are pretty worthless. So to me, to put up a tree, like, I, I, it's almost like scoffing at these gods. Like, I really, I really don't care about them. They're, they're stupid traditions of, of, about, you know, these stupid gods. And, and I literally, I, I've never been tempted to become a pagan. Like, it's just, it's not, it has nothing to do with me whatsoever the same i don't buy any of that though because like i said and i i said it hyperbolically but why would you go through the trouble to do all this why do you mark a special celebration why do you call it a holiday why does the whole world stop and start on it like it, it 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 reverberates across the whole world december 25th anywhere that's not muslim and even a lot of part of the muslim world still has this they get stopped and started on december 25th for the christ mass it's tremendously significant in the pagan world for that time of year it's tremendously mm-hmm. significant in the western world all the way through the middle ages up until now and it's commercially enormously important like those aren't 
insignificant factors. The fact that you're doing it and that the whole world around you does it does mean something. I mean, you can't be a part of something that the whole world moves on and say, ah, it doesn't matter to me. If it doesn't matter to you, then why do you do it? Well, to, to, to be clear, it, it, the pagan part of it doesn't matter to anybody virtually. I mean, maybe there's some actual pagan who digs the, the pagan part of it. That, that doesn't matter to anybody. That's a, a dead shell of, a, of something that's, I guess, been carried on in the same way that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday have been. Now, the materialism part, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm not a fan of that. But it would be similar to like Black Friday. Right. So I, I would go shopping on a Black Friday if I can get a good deal. I'm not going to like trample people to death doing it. But what about when the church, what about when your local churches, not just your local church, but every church across America has especially God is saving the world. So we're going to go out on Black Friday and save some money. Like that's what Christmas is. Okay. I mean, I get it. It's just once again, coming back to like your Old Testament prophets, like what I'm a fan of like trying to figure out what the actual reason for their ranting against syncretism is. I don't think it's just an, an incidental, like we happen to be doing this thing to Yahweh on the same day that other people did things to pagan gods like that. To me, that's so incidental. Like if if you're actually like believing that this this golden calf is Yahweh. Yes, that's a problem. If I'm actually like dedicating this tree to baby Jesus. Yes, that's a problem. But it's it. You had the sign leaning against the tree. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you, like, like you're, you're making until it your son big, pulled it down. You're making it into this big conglomerate and throwing materialism and throwing all this in this huge bucket and saying, like, I didn't throw all those things problem. together. Those things are what's what really happened. They're together. They're there part is, of it. And I think that there is a there is a spiritual evil that comes from Christmas. Not, not discounting that lots of people do it with innocent intentions and pure motives. Blah blah blah. But, but what does happen at the Christ Mass is that we have sweet baby Jesus. It confuses theology. It confuses the church. Everybody invests their time, money, attention, and energy into this silly version. Like, how many times have I heard, like, from the time I was growing up and actually practiced the Christ Mass till now, like, it's the time of year for evangelism. We can talk to people about Jesus because sweet baby Jesus came to earth. Like, this is the, our opportunity for the gospel. That stuff is so stupid. Nobody's ever been converted from Christmas. Nobody's ever been converted from a Christmas cantata. Like, it's, it's, it's a guilt appeasement that the heathens get to go be Christians for two days out of the year. Like, that's what it is. And it's this, like... All, there's there's tons of depression there's tons of drinking there's tons of work office party fornication like that i'm telling you if you only know what you grew up with in the mennonite church about christmas you don't know anything about christmas there's a whole world of wickedness that's happening in the name of this holiday and attaching sweet baby jesus onto it which is every holiday to be fair and so literally that, every weekend like celebrate weekends in that case because people get drunk on weekends i mean that that just doesn't really work it does when you're <laughs> making a christian holiday out of it well your your weekend right. is also a holiday it's, and that's when people go get drunk and you know no, nobody but, to hang out at my church i'm gonna take so, up for matthew i'm gonna take up for matthew here what he's saying is is what is is that christmas puts a stamp is is an attempt to put god's stamp of approval on your debauchery and say it's okay because it's baby jesus debauchery that's what i'm hearing at least right. am i am i hearing you right man right so 
here's and then here's you're a also fun, putting that a... you're also putting that on 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 Jesus as well, which is it's bad going both ways. Right. Right. So um, here's another fun thing that uh, that I discovered. I won't run past you, Matthew. It's a uh, um, this Italian individual so um he's very not he's sure he's very unbiased um being being italian and uh likely catholic but anyway he did some calculations which i think his logic is actually fairly interesting um he says there were three um yeah i gotta find i gotta find it um here i thought of basically go ahead he says there were three pilgrimages that people went on so um, they would take a pilgrimage at Passover, at Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is six months after, um, after Passover. And those, they, those were three times they'd make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. So the longest time that would be between two pilgrimages would be six months. Or in certain years, it could be seven months because of the way the calendar worked. Anyway, so... Luke notes that Joseph and Mary were in accordance with laws, so they would have they would have gone to here and done this. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are pregnant, but Mary doesn't know it, which means that Mary must not have gone on a pilgrimage because she doesn't find out for six months that Elizabeth is pregnant. So she must not have gone on a pilgrimage for six months which means that the pilgrimage she must have gone on or which means when the annunciation must have happened would have been um at passover so then nine months later is december so anyway that's a kind of a fun uh a fun little i don't know how uh i'd like to hear what you think about that or whatever so they think that maybe that's why and then they've actually done some calculations based on what josephus says of when he says Herod the Great died after an eclipse on the of the moon that was visible from Jerusalem. So then they use that to pinpoint the date of of the years when Jesus could have been born and so forth. Um, that doesn't really go with December, but um, that's just another fun fact. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of different retellings for what I think is that we don't have we don't have sufficient data. I think there's a reason we don't have an incarnation celebration. I think that if, 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 if we were supposed to have one, the church would have given us one and the church didn't give us one and we shouldn't have one. That's what I think. I mean, brass tacks, it's what it comes down to. The, the apostolic church had Mary and all the family of Jesus. And they were telling us lots of stuff to do. They didn't say anything about it for hundreds of years. I, I think we should leave it at that. That's, so you can, I, I, like I said, I've heard dozens of these retellings and what if we, what if we count it this way? And what if we put this in there? And what if we do this? And here's something, here's a sentence from Josephus and here's a sentence from this. And I, I just don't buy it. The church that had access to the real primary information didn't give us this. It's not supposed to be for us. Yeah, see, that's that one. I have to admit that probably is, um, that probably is the strongest argument, except it is kind of an argument from silence because we don't know they didn't give us information. We just don't have it preserved. And furthermore, it's also straight regulative principle. Yeah, I also don't no, like it. It's not, it. though, because there's all kinds of biblical reasons to forbid December 25th. 
it's not just that we didn't have it, so don't do it. It's that everything that we know about it is something that God would have forbidden. That's right. So if you drop that thing, we can't do it if it wasn't given to us at the beginning, then you're you're left you're left having the discussion about yeah, how good the reasons are not to do it. Right. Um, and that's where I think the, the real conversation lies. And that's where I think is the most ambiguous part of it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on board with Matthew on just to be clear on this entire thing, except for the date. Um, except for the idea that, that the birth of Christ shouldn't be celebrated at all. We have Gnostics running around everywhere in the church right now. And I think to celebrate the fact that Jesus came down as a baby and messed his diapers and drank milk and, and uh, learned to walk and fell over and bruised his head and yelled and whatever else, um, as a human, just like us, is an incredibly important thing to emphasize and for us to have an extra, an extra holiday um, to, to, to push back against one of these oldest and most toxic threats to the church um, is not a bad thing to me. And, and on the other hand, I also really, by your argument, Matthew, I think there's a lot to it that the Eucharist is, is right. a celebration of Christ's incarnation. We got 52 celebrations seen. a year of it. Right, right. Um, and, and if we weren't living, then that, that might be, I mean, may, maybe that's why people feel the need of Christmas um, on a spiritual level people who celebrate it really as a celebration of Christ is that they don't have um, that need filled somewhere else. So that would be another conversation that would be worth having. Right. Well, we're at almost two hours now. Let me summarize Matthew's argument. Um, I, Titus, Titus says, I don't care about the pagans and I'm not twisting baby Jesus. Matthew, yes, you are because people get drunk. All right. Are we good? Is that a good summary? No, we're not good. <laughs> Do we get to characterize? Does Matthew get to characterize your position now? Sure. Actually, I did want to say one thing. Like, if 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 Matthew, like, if I even did like one tenth of as, as well as Matthew did, or in in this debate, like, I think I win because I've literally <laughs> never thought or argued about this in my life, and I'm sure Matthew argues about it every year for a whole month and it's probably researched it for 20 years and read 20 uh, two months i would guess yeah right <laughs> yeah but matthew's not tiresome matthew is the only person i'm even willing to discuss christmas with yeah. because he's actually not tiresome and he doesn't say stupid stuff like um christmas trees actually represent um generative body parts come on come on folks i mean maybe they do but seriously you need to see a doctor that's all i have to say about that um that that like like people, people say people term. say all this nut stuff and i'm like you can't honestly be serious like i will it's, never it's, look at my christmas tree the same way again <laughs> i think you might have just won this argument dave believe it or not um <laughs> oh, so, so and i'm, I'm going to characterize titus's view here just just for so we all know where things stand i think titus's position is I just threw some seeds in the corner and this tree came out. <laughs> I was going to characterize Titus's view as <laughs> That's what, awesome. man. As what? So what, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
So, so I'd like to hear what where I'm coming from. Characterized. Um, Anglican. I want to be Anglican, but I can't. <laughs> so don't take my Christmas. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I'm pretty accurate. Oh, you can wow. get my Christmas when you pry it from my cold Anglican fingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Although I was starting to go liturgical calendar before I ran into my Anglican friends. So. Yeah, we yeah. do need to wind these up. The comment section is getting out of hand. Uh, yeah, well, Curtis is there, smoking so. the Christmas tree instead of decorating it. Curtis and Keyshawn <laughs> going at it. Oh, my goodness. So, All right, guys. So, well, hey, thanks a lot. It's been good. Yeah, it really has yes, been. Yes, it has. One more thing we have to do before we close. What's the meme of the week? Yes. Someone needs to pull it up. Did well, nobody pull it? I think that I think that the most votes was Keyshawn turning into baby Huey, but that's not very kingdom. It was probably the best meme of the week. I think Kimberly did it, but I'm going to go with the actual meme of the week was Titus's about Mark safe from reading Galatians without Luther's guilt complex. Excellent. Yes. The irony oh, is okay. I kind of have Luther's guilt complex. I know you do. It is quite ironic. Yes. That's why I, yes. I was factoring that Not into my here. vote. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey. We'll see you in two weeks. All right. I wish you a happy Christmas, Matthew, but I know you wouldn't know what to do with it. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. All right. We'll see you.